Good morning. That was really weak. Y'all aren't nearly as glad to see me as I was to see y'all, so I don't appreciate that. Um, I, no, we are glad you're here, and uh, we are starting a new series this morning called Thy Kingdom Come, and we're going to be looking at um, just what that means. What does it mean for the kingdom to come? What does it mean um, that the kingdom is here? And uh, today, what we're going to be really looking at and talking about is that the kingdom has begun. The kingdom has, has come. It came in the person of Jesus. It came when the Holy Spirit uh, came to us and began to establish the church. The kingdom is, is here and it's now. It's also future. But if it's going to, um, if we're going to be a part of the kingdom, the kingdom begins in our heart. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Actually, we're going to be looking at a parable in Matthew chapter 13. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, um, we'll be looking at the parable of the sower. And this will be uh, verses 1 through 9, and then we'll pick back up in verse 18 and go through about 23. And uh, the parable of the sower, I'm excited about this because I feel like the Lord really has spoken a lot to my heart this week. Um, and so I'm excited to share it with you. Um, about all that he's done in my life. Uh, as you're finding that, before we jump in, I do want to mention this to you. Easter's not but a, just a few weeks away, and um, I want to encourage you that you bring somebody with you uh, on Easter Sunday, that Easter is a time when we can get people to church that normally wouldn't come to church. Uh, and, and here's the thing that I know. That it only takes hearing the gospel one time and for somebody to receive the gospel one time uh, and for the Holy Spirit to do a work in their life one time, that their entire world will be transformed. And so I want to encourage you to bring somebody, and let's be praying that people who come, maybe for the first time to church, maybe they haven't been in a long time, would hear the gospel and respond to that. So let's all plan to bring somebody with us and uh, to have someone come alongside of us uh, to church on that Sunday. So Matthew chapter 13, before we read it, I want you to understand a couple of things about it. We're going to read about some different types of soil. And these different types of soil um, are, are representative of different conditions of heart. And so if you read soil, think heart. That's the condition of our heart. Then there's the word seed. The word seed is in there a lot. Um, the farmer is sowing his seed. And I want you to read seed and I want you to think God's word. And so the farmer comes to sow his seed into the soil. So he comes to sow his word into our heart. And so we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at some different conditions of our heart. And so um, I'm ready to get into it. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. It says in verse 1 of chapter 13 in Matthew, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. While all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Over in verse 18, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. 
The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's living, that it's active, that it works in our heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that if we have hearts today that are hard and hearts that are like that, that, that uh, path, God, I pray that you would break our hearts today, God. God, I pray that if uh, today our, our hearts are filled with obstacles to growing in you, that you would remove those obstacles in our lives. And God, I pray if things are competing with you for our heart, God, that we would die to those things. Father, I pray that our hearts would be good soil that find this seed, the good seed of your word. Uh, God, today they would take, our hearts would take that in and that it would produce fruit in our lives. Father, we love you. We thank you that you love us. We give you all the praise and glory for what you do in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm about to put something on the screen that is uh, going to make some of you nauseous. It's not gory or anything, so don't think like that. Um, but I'm just going to make some of you nauseous. It's going to make most of you nauseous. In fact, there's only going to be a handful of you that get excited about what I'm about to put on the screen. And so um, I, I want you to be prepared because some of you are going to feel nauseated. Some of you is going to remind you of some past things that you weren't so excited about. Uh, for others of you, you're going to be like, yes, this is awesome. And so today, what I want to put on the screen, I want you to look at this. Yeah, right there. How many of you feel nauseated right now? That makes you nauseated, absolutely. How many of you actually got excited about that? You saw it, you were like, yes. I do not understand you people, but that's okay. God still loves you. I just don't get it. Um, but yeah, there's a, that's an algebra equation or an algebra problem. And I was thinking about that this week. And, you know, when I was in algebra, I never, I, I, I knew like in my heart I'd never use it, right? And so I've never been at the grocery store and had to figure out what B equals. Or, or even when I was on job sites in the construction business, I, I never had to figure that out, right? And, and so um, it was complicated, though. It was complex. It was difficult. And, and I think that sometimes for us, life can become that way. And one of the problems that we face in life is that it's many times difficult. It's many times complex. It can feel confusing. It can be a lot like that algebra equation. And, and we spend a lot of effort trying to solve our problems, trying to work out our problems and our issues. And, and that's not all bad. But the thing that I want to encourage you with today is that your greatest problem has been solved. Your greatest problem has been solved. Your greatest problem isn't some algebra equation. Your greatest problem isn't your marriage, believe it or not. Your greatest problem isn't your finances, believe it or not. Your greatest problem is not your boss, believe it or not. Your greatest problem is not your mortgage, believe it or not. Um, listen, your greatest problem is actually something inside of you, not something outside of you. The greatest problem that we have is our heart. It's our heart. In Jeremiah 17, 9, I want to read that to you real quick. Jeremiah 17, 9, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then over in Proverbs 4, 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And so I want to give you another equation, kind of like the one that was on the board. But this one is Jeremiah 17, 9 plus Proverbs 4, 23 equals a mess. Okay? 
Because what it's basically telling us is that it's out of our heart that our decisions come, that all the issues of life come, that the things that we do, that's where they come from, is out of our heart. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can, who can understand it, right? It's beyond a cure. And so when you combine those two things, you see that if we're led by our heart, by our un, un, uh, redeemed heart, then we're being led in a bad direction. The thing that I would tell you is if you tell somebody um, that, that they should just follow their heart, that could possibly be the worst advice you ever give them because their heart's deceitfully wicked above all things. If it has not been transformed by the power of Jesus and being led by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, the worst thing we could possibly do might be to follow our heart. And so we need to see that this is the problem. Our heart is the issue. Our heart is what... Um, needs to be worked on. The good news, though, begins when we realize that we have an answer to Jeremiah's question of who can understand it. We have an answer to that question, and the person who can understand it is Jesus. The person who can understand it, the good news is, that is the same one who can do something about it. The one who can understand it can do something about it, because the one who understands it, God himself came to earth. He put on uh, flesh and he walked among us and he has been tempted as we are the bible says that we don't have a high priest we don't have a jesus who who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has in every way been tempted as we are yet is without sin so we have a god who understands where we're at what we're going through the difficulties of life the complexities of life the confusion of life and and understands because he's walked where we walk and, and so i want you to be encouraged by that that the reality is the one who can do something about it is the one who understands where we are. And it's not someone that can understand because remember, he put on flesh. He walked where we are walking. He understands. He's been tempted. He was, he's felt the sting of sin and death on the cross. And three days later, he came out of a tomb. God rolled away the stone. He came out of a tomb, defeating sin, death, hell, and the grave once and for all. And so when you look at that, I want you to understand this, that the greatest problem in life has been solved. But many times we focus and we, we approach this problem of our heart much like we would approach an algebraic equation. We try to solve it for ourselves. We try to figure it out when the reality is this, that the problem is solved, but it's not solved in our doing, it's solved in our receiving. It's not solved in our doing, it's solved in our receiving. It's solved in us receiving someone, not doing something. It's solved in us receiving Jesus into our hearts. It's solved by us receiving Christ into our lives. It's solved by us making him the Lord and Savior of our lives. That's where the problem of our heart is solved. And it's amazing if God solves the problem of our heart, how many of our other problems go away? And so we need to realize and come to this place that the Problem's been solved, but we have to receive the solution. We've got to receive the solution. What's the difficulty in receiving the solution? Again, our heart. 
And so God's got to do something in our heart if we're going to actually walk in victory, if we're going to actually walk in what God wants us to walk in. He's got to do a work in our heart. And if we're going to solve this problem, if we're going to see God do this, then we need to examine our hearts. It's amazing to me that that as important as our heart is, and when I say our heart, I mean the center of our will, the center of our emotions, the center of our life, um, the core of our being. When is, as, as important as our heart is, it's amazing to me that we don't spend more time examining our heart, examining what's going on in there. And so today, we're going to examine our hearts. We're going to look at our hearts, and we're going to do that by answering a couple of questions this morning. And the first question I want to ask you is, what is the condition of your heart? What is the condition of your heart? Jesus lists out four different conditions that are possibilities for where our heart is. The very first one is the path. And this path, I want you to imagine walking down a path and you got on your your sandals and you're walking your, your donkey or whatever with you. And you're just walking with all these other people because this is the type of path this would be. And if you've ever walked on a path that's, that someone else has walked on a lot or that animals have walked on a lot, you know that eventually that path gets hard because it's been trampled on. These animals and people were trampling on this path and Jesus maybe even watching a farmer at the moment he tells this parable. So see, he's watching this, uh, he, he's talking about a farmer throwing his seed out and he says some of it falls on the path. And this path is hard and it's been beaten down. It's been trampled on. And so the seed can't grow. It can't penetrate the soil. And I wonder how many people, our hearts are like that today, that God has been trying to reach you. God has been knocking on the door of your heart with his hand. He's been knocking on the door of your heart with his his spirit. And, And we just keep resisting. We keep ignoring. Our heart has become hardened. That's what this soil would look like. It's becoming stubborn and stiff-necked towards God. It's even being sometimes cynical and sarcastic. And I know you've probably been around people like this who are just cynical and sarcastic of God. I can understand this because that's who I used to be. I was very cynical. I was very sarcastic of God. I I would go to Bible studies um, mostly because my girlfriend was there. And then I would go and... And, but I would sit there and I would be the most difficult person in the room because I would ask questions that were unanswerable, stupid questions like, can God make a rock so big that God can't move it? Those kind of things. And I was like, just there to wreck the party, right? Just there to cause a disturbance. People would see me coming in to their Bible study and they're like, oh, great, he's going to be here. It was just difficult, just a problem. And, and it was because my heart was so hardened towards God, I didn't want anything to do with God. The second type of soil that he talks about is the rocky soil. This to me is a shallow pretender. It's someone who maybe you had a mental experience with the gospel. I did this too. I had an experience when I was about 16 years old where I heard the gospel mentally. I thought that's great. I, I should do that. I should be a part of that. And so I, I went through the motions of Christianity for about four to six months. And then I drifted away and actually went to a place lower than I had been before spiritually. And many people do this. We see it all the time at church that people with good intentions make a profession of faith, but in four months, six months, you can't find them. And the reason is that it was shallow. It was a shallow commitment. See, Jesus didn't die for us to make a shallow commitment. Jesus died so that he could have our whole heart. 
But this rocky soil, it doesn't let the root grow down. It would have been soil that sat on top of rocks. And so it could grow a little ways, but that rock became an obstacle to the growth of those roots. And so they couldn't grow down deep where it could be nourished in the difficult times. So that when trouble or persecution came, they folded, they withered. And we've all probably seen people that this has happened to. I would say this type of heart hypocrisy would be a good summation of what it might look like. Hypocrisy, maybe, maybe people who are still in church, they go through the motions of church, but there's no real fruit in their life. It might be someone who puts on like Christian makeup to look the part, but really there's no fruit in their life that, or evidence that God's working in their heart. And so we see this. And for some people, it's just people that just walk away completely. But there's no evidence of God working in their life. Then there's the thorny soil, the thorny soil. The third one he talks about, what does this look like? It looks like a life where there's too many um, competing voices. There's too many things competing for your heart. And so um, Jesus doesn't really have all of your heart. There's too many things competing. There's too many competing interests for your heart. And so in this person's heart, Jesus is one of many gods. He's not Lord and Savior, the God. There's too many things competing for your attention, too many things that have part of your heart, and Jesus is a part of that. And then there's the good soil. He talks about this in there, the good soil. This is the fourth type of soil, and, and it's the saved soil. This is the soil of someone's heart that has received the word of God, has counted the cost to follow him, and is now pursuing him. And so we see that, that this is a, a person who, has, has yielded their lives, surrendered their lives to Christ and is pursuing him, following him, going after him. The second question I wanna ask you this morning, the first one, what is the condition of my heart? The second one is what caused my heart to be this way? What caused my heart to be this way? What caused my heart to become so hard like this path? What caused my heart to be in that shape, that condition? I think one of the biggest reasons that our hearts become hardened is because someone or something is trampled on them. Just like that path, they get beaten down by life. They get beaten down by other people. And so they become hard. I think woundedness is something that causes us to be hard-hearted. I, I do, when, when y'all don't understand like the whole preparation for a message, because most of you probably never done this. And so I research crazy things during the week, trying to figure out ways to make this Applicable, applicable to you and, and to, to make you understand what I'm trying to say. And so it's it, like crazy things. Like this week, I ended up researching calluses. Calluses, right? That's exciting, isn't it? But uh, it was funny because I was like, man, I, so many people's hearts become callous and towards God. They become hard towards God. And so I went and I started researching this and looking it up. And it was interesting how, how applicable it was to what we're talking about with this path. Because the thing about a callus is it, it, it shows up after there's been a consistent wounding, after there's been a consistent irritation. You think about getting calluses on your hand from working, um, doing things like that. You get those calluses because of a consistent irritation uh, to your hand or to whatever part of your body that you get the callus on. It, it, it forms because of this consistent wounding, this consistent irritation and it begins to form a thickening skin to cover that irritation, to make it where that wound doesn't happen anymore, that irritation doesn't happen anymore. And it is there, it exists for the sole purpose of protecting what's underneath it. 
And I thought about how much that is true of our hearts in many times, is that our hearts have been wounded time and time again. And so what we end up doing is we grow a thick covering over it, this wall we build up over it, this, this uh, hardening of heart to protect what's underneath it. And I think that's happened many times. I know it's happened many times to people in this room where wounds have caused you to come to this place where you just become hard-hearted. You become guarded. You, you don't want anything to do with anything that might possibly hurt you. And so we carry that over into our relationship with God. But I wanna tell you this morning that you can trust Jesus with your heart. Jesus is not gonna hurt you. He wants to heal you, deliver you, and bring you through the hurt and the pain. That's what God wants to do, but many of us have been wounded and it causes our hearts to become hardened. And, and, and sometimes the wounds are things that others have inflicted on us. Things like a broken marriage, maybe we tried to do our part and the marriage didn't work or another type of broken relationship, something that was broken in, in, relationally. Um, sometimes it's because someone abused you. It, you may have been abused verbally, emotionally, sexually, physically. I don't know what it would be for you, but the thing is that causes wounds. It causes hurts. It causes a hardening. Um, sometimes it's because someone hurts someone you love. And so that caused a wound in your heart and it ended up le leading to some hardening towards God. Um, sometimes it's something that was said. It might've been said years ago, but it was said to you and it penetrated and it hurt and it caused a wound and you thought, I'm never gonna go down that path again. And so you built up a wall and it exists between you and other people, but it also exists between you and God. Someone may have broken your trust Someone you thought you could trust, you figured out, I can't trust them. In fact, maybe it's been many times that people have let you down, people that you thought you could trust, but you realize now I can't trust them. And so over time, you've just begun to throw out trust altogether with other people and with God. Sometimes it's because someone robbed you of something. Someone robbed you of your innocence. Someone robbed you of something that you love. And so you feel robbed and, and bitter and angry. I'm hardened towards people towards God. Sometimes it, for some of you, it might've been a church or a pastor who did something that turned your heart away from God, that turned you away from wanting to have anything to do with the church. Some of you, it might've been your children that wounded you. For others, it may have been your parents that wounded you. But these wounds end up, they have been inflicted by others or things that end up causing wounds that can cause us to become hard-hearted. Then there's wounds that we inflict on ourselves, things like addiction, things that, that we, maybe we got ourselves into and now we're having difficulty getting ourselves out. Maybe it was abusive, being abusive to other people. Um, you were the one who was abusive and now it's created a wound in your heart that you can't forgive yourself for. Maybe it's something that you said that wounded them initially, but now it's come back on you and it's wounding you. Maybe you selfishly walked out of a relationship with someone that you love, that you wish you could take back. Maybe you cheated in some way and now it's a wound in your heart. Maybe you cheated at your job. Maybe you cheated on your spouse. Maybe it's something, a wound that exists in you now because of something that you did to someone else. And many times this leads us to self-hate where we can't stand ourselves and it leads to a hardness of heart that we won't receive love from anyone else nor will we give it. And then we certainly can't receive it from God. Sometimes the most difficult wounds are things when there seems to be nobody to blame. We really can't look at it and say, well, they did this or I did this, but we come to a place where there seems to be nobody to blame. 
And, and so things like a tragedy that just happens, sometimes things just happen. Who do I blame for this? Sometimes an illness can come along and who do I blame for this illness? Sometimes we just get beat down by life and it causes a wound in our hearts that, that is just something that causes us to become hardened. And then here's the thing that oftentimes will happen. If we can't clearly see someone to blame, who do we then typically turn to and blame? We'll blame God. It's gotta be his fault. And so again, our hearts become hardened towards God. And so I want you to see that today. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe that's why your heart is so hardened. Maybe you can trace it back to something that's happened in your life that causes you to feel that way. Maybe that's where this comes from. Then there's the rocky soil, the shallow pretender. I would ask you this question, what obstacles keep you from growing? If there's no fruit in your life, no evidence of God in your life, then, then what is it that's still dominating your life? Because if Jesus is the dominating force in your life, the Bible is clear that we'll produce fruit for the kingdom. We'll produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things will be growing and increasing in our life. Is that happening in your life? I'm not saying that you're perfect at those things, but that we're growing in those things. Are we growing in kingdom fruit where we're helping other people come to the realization of who Jesus is by the way we live our life and by the things that we say and do? Or are we just going through the motions of Christianity, of religion, not a relationship with Jesus? I want you to be clear on this one that when I talk about sin, that's an obstacle to growth. I'm not talking about if you're just battling sin. I'm not trying to plant a seed of doubt about your salvation. What I'm telling you is if, if you're in a place where there's no conviction of sin, you just live your life the way you want to live it without any conviction of sin in your life, then there's a problem there because the Bible is very clear that the spirit of God wars against the spirit of our flesh. In other words, the spirit of God wars against the sin in our life. And so if we're just going through life doing what we want to do and there's no conviction of sin in our life, we need to examine the fact that maybe I don't have a relationship with God through Christ. And that could be a reality for us. And so we come to this place where we have to ask ourselves, is my heart like this rocky soil? At some point, maybe you mentally assented to something, but you never fully accepted Jesus. Maybe it's shallow because what you thought looked good in your mind never made it into your heart. In other words, there was never a heart change that took place. Because the Bible is very clear that when Jesus comes into our life, he changes our heart and he transforms our heart so that what comes out of us is very different than what used to come out. Then there's the thorny soil, the soil that, that the weeds grow up in and choke it out. This is where you've got too many competing interests in your life so that Jesus is just one of those interests. Jesus isn't really Lord. He's just one of the many options that we have that day. And so maybe it's when we just go to church and go through the motions, but we're not really living for God. We're not in a relationship with God. It's just going through the motions of, of Christianity. I was trying to think of a way to help you understand, help you to see this and really to bring this home. And the thing that I thought of, I had this file box in my office and as I was thinking about this, I thought about how our lives can oftentimes be like this, that you open it up and if this represents our heart, there's all these different folders that exist in there. And so our heart's divided is what I would say. And so you've got in there, you've got your work life, 
and, and the things you do at work. You've got your goals and dreams of what you hope to one day do. Um, maybe your finances is part of that, is part of the division in your heart. Maybe your hobbies, the things you like to do are another part of your heart. And then maybe family life, that's another part of your heart. And listen, none of those things are bad. It's just only when it doesn't work when the other part is God. And so we've got all of these different things that are competing for God's position all these different things that our heart is divided amongst. And so God doesn't, listen, God didn't die so that he could be a folder in your life. He died so that he could have all of your heart. He didn't die to have part of your heart. He died to have the whole thing. That's why we have to count the cost when it comes to following Jesus. Look, Jesus isn't to, to be a folder in the box. He's to be the whole box. He's to be the one that contains it all, that dictates it all, that guides all. That's what it means for Jesus to be Lord, is that he makes the decisions. He calls the shots. It's why so many people won't come to Christ is because you can't surrender to something. You can't let God be the one in control, not letting him call the shots because honestly, you love your sin more than you love Jesus. And so we continue to live the life that we want to live, doing the things we want to do. The last soil and the last thing that we need to look at and see why is it that, that my heart's this way is the good soil. It was really in my heart this week to challenge people today that even if you look at your life and you say, yeah, I'm in a relationship with Jesus. I'm not perfect. Um, I make mistakes. I still stumble. I still fall. I still, still, but there's fruit that's being produced in my life. And it was just in my heart to really challenge you this week and say, look, here's the reality of the fact is if we are producing fruit for the kingdom, if we are being used by God, then we can't become conceited and prideful in that because the only reason we're doing anything like that or becoming like that is because of God's spirit working in us. It's because of what God's doing. If there's anything that we do that is good and kingdom worthy, it is because of what God is doing in our hearts. But I see so many people who over time, they, they clean up their life pretty good. Uh, God maybe even working in their life and working in their heart. But the problem becomes that, that when they get to that point, they begin to think that somehow they had something to do with it. But it's all God from the moment of salvation to the, the moment that of glorification. When we go to be with him, it is all God. All of the transformation that happens in us is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. All we do is surrender to what he wants to do in us. The third question, y'all are really quiet today, by the way. Either I'm putting y'all to sleep or I don't know what's going on. Maybe your wheels are turning, but anyway. Third question, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? What am I gonna do about the condition of my heart? Because see, here's the good news. The good news is that we have a God who breaks hard hearts and breaks up rocky hearts and, and that will remove the weeds from our hearts so that we can produce the fruit that he wants us to produce. But what am I going to do about it? If you find that your heart is hard towards God, that you relate mostly with this, this path, this hardened spot, this hardened heart, then I would tell you to ask yourself this question. What is God's spirit saying to me today? What is God's spirit saying to me today? See, God has the power to break the heart of stone, but we've got to listen to God and do what he says. We've got to be willing to open our hearts. If the hand of a holy God is knocking on the door of your heart, then open the door. Open the door. 
and let him in. Receive him today. Maybe today is the day that God breaks through your heart of stone. And he, you realize that he is a good father. We sing that all the time. We say things like that all the time. But maybe today is the realization that he really is and that he's the one to bring you through your woundedness, not to cause them. Maybe today God is saying you need to forgive. Maybe for some of you it's, it's that you need to forgive someone. And listen, forgiveness is not a feeling. You can't wait until you feel like forgiving. You've got to make a choice to forgive. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. And if we look at the things that God's done for us and what God's done in our lives and how much he's forgiven us for, how can we harbor resentment and bitterness towards someone else when we've been forgiven so much? I'm not telling you you got to become best friends with them, but I'm telling you it's for your benefit if you forgive. Maybe God's saying to you today to trust him. You can trust God. You can trust Jesus with your heart. Maybe God's leading you to begin this process of healing because this is what I know. We talked about how wounds can turn into calluses. I don't believe God wants to allow your wounds to turn into hardening and into calluses. I believe God wants to turn your wounds into scars. Because here's the thing is some people say, well, you don't wanna have scars as a Christian. I think you absolutely do. Because I did a little research on scars too. And the thing I found out about scars is that they don't appear until complete healing takes place. And the thing I found out about scars is that they're evidence of a healing process that has already gone on. And I believe this with all my heart that, that Jesus wants to heal you of your wounds, not to let them form calluses on your heart that separate you from him and from other people. I believe God wants to, to take those wounds and to, to turn them into scars so that it shows his healing power. I've got a place on my back. I got one actually right here too, but you can't really see it for my hair. But I got a place on my back where I had to have a skin cancer removed. And, and it's, it's, it's not very pretty, right? You can see it pretty easily. And it's not the, something that I would go like, hey, check this out. Doesn't this look good? No, it doesn't look good. And, and many times our scars aren't things that we want people to see. It's things that we feel ashamed of and want to hide. Many times the things that have happened in our life, we think we should be ashamed of them. But if God's brought you out of them, I want you to understand that a scar is evidence of his healing power and his work in your life. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's part of a testimony to who God is and what he does. And so we can come to this place where we are, are maybe been wounded and we've been hurt, but God can take those calluses and those hard hearts and he can break them. And then he can bring healing to the woundedness that you experience and that you feel. Our scars are a testimony to the healing power of Jesus. But you've got to open your heart to him and he'll heal. The next one's the rocky soil. What am I gonna do about the rocky soil? If this is just me, I'm just shallow. I'm a shallow pretender. I go through the motions, but I don't really, I don't really have a relationship with God. The question I would ask if I were you is what is God trying to remove from my life? What's keeping me from knowing him fully? What's keeping me from walking in grace? What's keeping me from growing in a relationship with Jesus? See, Jesus is a chain breaker. He can break the power of sin in your life. But if that's going to happen, we've got to quit focusing on sin and begin to focus on the one who can deliver you from the sin. 
So much of our time is spent focused on the sin in our lives and trying to remove the sin in our lives when here's the reality. If we'll focus on Jesus and grow closer to Jesus, he's going to do the, the transforming work. He's the one that's going to heal. He's the one that's going to remove. And he'll break up this rocky soil so that the roots can grow deep, so that the roots can, can begin to produce fruit. But, but religion... This rules without a relationship that is so common in the South, it's not going to do it. It's not going to transform you. It's not going to do the things that you want to do. Like this, this, let's look at this for an example. How many of you are still doing your New Year's resolution? One. One. <laughs> One. Does that not tell us something about our level of being able to transform our lives? And that person is just really disciplined, right? But that ought to tell us something about our ability to transform ourselves is that we can't do it. Only God can transform our heart and religion uh, rules without a relationship is not going to do it. Playing church is not going to do it. Picking the bad fruit off of your life, trying to just, just make yourself look better. It's not going to do it. None of those things are going to work, but focusing on a relationship with Jesus will do that. He will transform our hearts for your good and for his glory. Then the thorny soil. What do I do about this if my heart's like this? I would ask this question to myself. What has to die in my life? What has to die in my life? Galatians 2.20, Paul says this. He says that I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, as a Christian, there are times when we have to, have to die to things in our life, that we have to come to a place where we let some things die so that we can live. If we're coming into the Christian faith, that's one of the things that has to happen. I die to everything else so that I can live for Christ. It's, 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 it's not um, something that just happens. It's something that we look at and we say, I'm counting the cost. I'm going to live for Christ. He's the Lord of my life. I'm going to press into him. He's going to be God. He's going to be Lord. He's going to be savior. And he's going to have my life. But what needs to be put on the cross? What needs to be crucified for you in order that you can live in a relationship with Christ to receive that? It's not about you having to make yourself good enough. Nobody's ever going to get to that point. But it is about saying, God, I want to die to everything else but you. I want you to be my life. That's what God wants us to do. How many of you have ever, you, maybe you've had a battle with kudzu at your house. Anybody ever had a battle with kudzu at your house? You had some kudzu? Yeah. I, I had some kudzu show up at my house one day. Um, not like knocking on the door, but out in the yard. And this kudzu, one day it was like a few little little sprouts and then it seemed like no joke it seemed like two weeks later it was all over my yard or just coming up into the to the yard and so ended up having to do this battle with kudzu so I went and I did a little research on kudzu and it's kind of the theme of the week and so I did some research and what I found out about kudzu is it was actually introduced to the United States um, as a uh, ornamental plant it was introduced as an ornamental plant. And so it was something like that people would let grow up lattice work and things like that. And so it was supposed to be something pretty to look at. And then they realized how quickly it grew and it became something that people would put on the side of roads, like new roads and things like that to prevent erosion. And so they would use it in that way. 
But isn't it interesting that now it's on a list of the most um, annoying weeds that there are? And I thought, isn't that kind of like what Satan does in our lives? As he comes along and he puts something in front of us that it looks good, it might even seem to have a purpose in our lives, but at the end of the day, the reality of it is it ends up taking over our life and choking out the very thing that God wanted to do in our life to begin with. And so we've got to be careful of that. And we've got to understand that these weeds um, need to die so that the seed of God can grow healthy in our hearts without choking out the fruit that is to be there. The last one is the good soil, the people who are following Christ, people who are saved, people whose hearts have been transformed. They're following Christ and producing fruit, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the kingdom. I wanna encourage you today that one, be humble about that because again, it's God doing that work. But two, fight the good fight. Continue to fight the good fight. When, when we begin to drift towards these other things, towards uh, things that would choke out the life of God, when we begin to drift towards um, this, this obstacles to our growth in Christ, the sin and things like that, we begin to drift towards those things. The good news is that the Holy Spirit is there to draw us back. But I'm telling you, be on your guard. I'm encouraging you to continue to fight the good fight because this is what I know. If you'll fight the fight and let Jesus fight the fight for you and let the Spirit fight the fight in you and you will just listen to God and do what he says, in due time, the Bible tells us that we will reap a harvest, that there will be a harvest to be had. And I wanna encourage you today not to quit, not to give up, but you keep fighting the good fight. You keep fighting for the Lord. You keep letting the Lord fight for you and let the Spirit do in you what the Spirit... Uh, wants to do and you will produce fruit for the kingdom. John 15, five is a promise to us that if we'll abide in him, we will produce much fruit. There'll be a lot of fruit produced in our lives. We learn from this parable that, that the good soil produces 160 or 30 times that which was sown into it, meaning that the Christian life, the normal Christian life is for abundant fruit to be produced in our lives. So we can be confident of this. We can be confident in knowing that God will do this in our lives lives as we live in him. I think that all of these verses we read today are important, but the very verse that I, I feel like is the most important to me this week as I read it was in verse nine. Jesus simply says, whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever has ears, let them hear. In other words, Whoever's willing to receive it, then receive it. Whoever's willing to accept it, accept it. But we can't receive it if we don't have ears to hear it, if we're unwilling to listen to it. If we're not willing to hear the word of God and receive it. Then our problem remains, our heart problem remains. But if we'll receive him, not as something else to do, but someone to know, that he'll transform our lives and transform our hearts. We won't be perfect by any means, but we will be transformed. So I want you to, I want you to know that. I want you to be challenged by that. Verses 14 and 15 is where I'm gonna close with this. It says, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. This is Jesus talking about the Jewish people. For those people's hearts has become callous. 
They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. See, here's the great news about God is that if we're willing to listen and we have ears to hear God and we're willing to turn to him, God is a healer. Whether you've been wrestling with a hard heart, whether you have, 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 have struggles with being a shallow pretender, someone who um, you love your sin more than you love God, I believe this, that God will reveal himself to you in such a way that there'll be no comparison to sin and to knowing Christ. There is no comparison. Believe that when we come to this relationship with him, we come to a place where we realize it's better to die to the things that compete with our hearts for him than it is to live separated from him. And my prayer is that somehow God has spoken to your heart today to draw you closer. Maybe God today, if you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, he has spoken to your heart today to continue the good fight to see this harvest come. But if you find yourself in a situation where you're in one of those three soils, the path, the rocky soil, or the thorny soil, then I want to offer to you today salvation, an opportunity to know Christ. And I don't know if it's been woundedness. I don't know if it's that you just have been submerged in other decisions that take you away from God. But I know this, if God's knocking on the door of your heart today, today is the day of salvation, open the door. And I wanna give you that opportunity today for you to open that door, for you to say yes to a relationship with Jesus for you to say yes to accepting him into your life. And if God's speaking to your heart about salvation, then what I want you to do is, I want you to just raise your hand and say, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. here somebody uh, pray with my friend back here thank you thank you Dana we want to just pray with you guys as you go back there they got some good folks to help take care of you amen good stuff anybody else today that your Lord's speaking to your heart and you know that today's the day of salvation alright then here's what I, I believe in my heart is that the spirit's moving and what I 
want to give you the opportunity to do is for you to respond to the spirit the way he prompts you to respond. And maybe today you've sensed yourself having drifted from being centered on Christ. And today is a day for you to hear, have ears to hear and to turn and come back to the Lord. Uh, maybe you realize you've wandered. Maybe you realize that your eyes have just gotten out of focus on him and you need to refocus them. I don't know what it is, but I'm gonna invite you to come down here and, and to get it right with God, to do business with him right here, to get on your knees at this altar and say, God, I need you. More than anything else, I need you. And if that's not right in your heart today, then come and get it right today. Today. If there's something that you're wounded over, then come and get it right today. Let God begin to heal that today. Today. So I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to move and to come and to spend time with God, but don't waste this opportunity. You respond to him how he's prompting you to respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love in our lives. Thank you that you do break hearts of stone, God. Thank you that you break up the rocky ground. Thank you that you remove the weeds from our lives that choke out the fruit. God, thank you that you create good soil. It's all done through the power of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. We thank you for that. God, I pray that you would just continue to work in us, continue to live in us, God. Do a great work in us, that you could do a great work through us, Lord. I pray for each person who comes to the front today, God, that they would meet with you face to face and that, God, you would do a great work in their heart. Um, God, that you would meet them there and that you would transform their lives. God, just, just uh, speak to them as they give ear to you. Lord, I pray for this congregation that we would be a light in darkness, that we would be a light in this world. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you love us and for the grace you've given us in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen, amen. As they're praying, I wanna dismiss you guys. God bless you, have an awesome week.